Basic Income Podcast. I'm Owen Poindexter. And I'm Jim Pugh. As listeners of this podcast well know, there's been a lot of basic income pilots that have popped up in the past years. Finland, Ontario, the Y Combinator Research Project in Oakland, Stockton, California, Jackson, Mississippi, and now potentially Chicago doing their own city-run basic income pilot. So it's exciting to see so much progress here. But this basic question, do all these pilots actually get us closer to ultimately enacting universal basic income? So Jim and I wanted to delve into that question a little bit more. So we are going to use this as a discussion episode to dive into the idea of basic income pilots. So let's start with a a fairly basic question. What's good about pilots? And also, what are some of the drawbacks and limitations? I'll just say what I think is the most obvious point, which is that we get data, we get research from these pilots. So much of what we know, so much of the reason that I at least am confident in the power of basic income and cash transfers comes from research out of the experiments in the US and Canada in the 70s and the work that GiveDirectly is doing and the Alaska Permanent Fund. Through these, we can see that cash works and we don't have to speculate. I think that's right. I think some might argue that because we do have that data, why are we doing more research here? But I mean, really, there isn't a limit to how much we can measure here. We have certainly looked at some things, but many of these pilots have really been focused on answering a specific question. For example, the income maintenance experiments that were done in the US in the 60s, the question being asked there was what impact that has on people's work. That's really all they were designed to measure. And there, there were some other observations that came along with that, but it wasn't th- those weren't outcomes that the experiments were actually designed to accurately measure. And so there's still a lot of things that may or may not occur with a universal basic income that until we run a pilot specifically set up to measure that, we won't actually know. Yeah, and obviously every experiment takes place in a certain place and time, and what we learned from the 70s, I think probably applies pretty well to today, but you know we're, we're talking about 50 years ago. And so obviously the, the culture has changed, the world has changed, and it's worth seeing what basic income looks like today. Right, and I think, somewhat related to that is how does basic income affect certain groups that we've done these pilots that generally we're targeting a broad swath of the population. That can tell you what's overall impact, but if you want to know, well, what does this do for specific age groups or people in this particular situation, you actually need to have either an enormous pilot or a pilot specifically geared towards those different groups if you're gonna really be able to answer that question with accuracy. Yeah, Yeah, and one more I'd throw in there is just different housing markets. That's one question that that I, you know, to me is unanswered. I'm I'm sure people have thought about it and looked into it, but, you know, because I and, you know, a lot of people happen to live in a very hot, kind of overheated housing market, that's something I, one of the first things I think about around basic income, if it happened in my own community. One whole other set of reasons that I think pilots can be very powerful is just familiarizing the general population with the idea of basic income. I think before Stockton and I guess Finland and you know some of the more recent trials that we've seen, I think it was a completely foreign idea to at least a lot of the people that I talk to. And now at least there's that reference point, like, oh, aren't they doing that in Stockton? Didn't Oakland try that? Is Finland doing something with that? And the more of these we have, the more of the media coverage there is around that 
the more it's not something that is totally out of nowhere for people. Right, just providing more visibility into the policy. So, I mean, we've talked about many times how basic income differs so drastically from the way that people generally think about providing support. And when that is coupled with being something you haven't even heard about, I, I think that exacerbates it. If, if basic income, the idea that this is something being tried becomes more of a household concept, then it's going to make it that much easier to, to get people to say, all right, well, this is something I'm, I'm actually on board with. I think related to that also is just the political buy-in that, that can come with doing a pilot. And this isn't necessarily true in every situation, but I would say especially if a city is involved, that's going to really mandate that you have some degree of political buy-in from elected officials at, at certain levels. And that buy-in, that's going to continue to build momentum, getting more people in positions of power supportive of, of basic income, which will make it that much easier to actually move policy down the road. Yeah, I, I think it's a, a really important part of this is to make it a smaller political leap. So you're not just saying, here's an idea that you've never heard of, and I'm just presenting it out of whole cloth. Uh, like in Chicago, for instance, something like two thirds or three quarters of the aldermen, or the equivalent of the city council people there, supported the the basic income trial there. And you, you imagine some of those people are going to run for you know whatever governor or attorney general, secretary of state, uh, you know maybe Congress. And so then you have people who have have already you know put their money down on basic income, so to speak. And uh, and you have a constituency that's bought in on the idea and maybe even starts to have some pride in the idea as well. And I, I think, and, and you were getting to that, I would say, with, with your answer just now, but beyond just generally broad support, looking specifically at the community of advocates, people who are actively working towards this, having a sort of drumbeat of progress with more and more pilots happening over time is motivating. I mean, that, that's going to make it easier to, to keep energy up to continue to, to push this idea at various, at various different levels in various different ways. And so even, even if you don't care what happens in the pilot itself, the fact that that is, is showing momentum, I, I think that has value too. Sure. And you know, maybe stating the obvious here, but the more people who receive a basic income, supposedly, some of them will become big supporters and also the people they know, their friends and family, they'll be able to say like, oh, like, yeah, my friend got that and now they paid off their student loans or they're able to get a car and that made them get a better job or whatever it is. You'll have all these um, anecdotes and these experiences that are close to people that make it less of a kind of macroeconomic thought experiment and more of a, this happened to my friend or this happened to me and, and now I saw the effects and presumably those will be good effects. So those are some of the reasons that we think pilots are good and more pilots are better. But what about potential downsides? What are drawbacks and limitations around pilots? Yeah, I mean, for one to start with is that one question or one set of questions I think we have revolves around saturation. So not just what happens when one person gets a basic income, what happens when an entire town or an entire city gets it? And, and that's harder to study and also length as well. So the the, the more capital intensive the, the pilot gets, the closer you get to just actually having a basic income. And so that starts to move away from the 
abilities of a pilot and more just into what you need the, the federal government or at least a state government to be on board for. And so there's some questions you might not truly get to get to the bottom of just through pilots. Right, unless you're in a developing nation where it's far, far cheaper to provide basic income, the cost of giving entire cities basic income to, to really study what the communal effects are just becomes massively prohibitive. And so, as, as you alluded to, sure, if you have a government-run quote-unquote pilot that is providing entire towns with basic income, then you can start to answer those questions. But given that the pilots happening today have generally been privately funded, or even if they're governmental, limited in size so that that wouldn't be practical to be able to do. That's really something that, yeah, we, we won't actually know. I think the other, the other aspect, and, and this does connect to the duration, I would say, is concerns that if we're doing pilots that may take four plus years, if that could be used as an excuse to take off pressure from actually enacting policy. If it's really an opt-out to say, oh, well, we're running, we're running this experiment, so let's check back in 2022, and then we can talk about if, if we want to move policy. And if we believe that we actually need to be quickly moving here to, to starting to provide people with uh, some form of basic income or universal income, then potentially, if, if pilots are being presented in that way, that could be making it harder to actually enact things. Yeah, and kind of as a side note there, what we've seen in both Canada and Finland is that the trial goes through multiple electoral cycles. And so, uh, you know, in both cases, a different party came into power, and that party is, as you would imagine, as it's a different party than the one that started the experiment, was less ex sympathetic to the experiment. And uh, with Finland, it looks like that one will continue to the end, but then not go further. And Ontario, at the time of recording, it's still kind of up in the air what's going on there, but looks like it's probably not going to make it all the way to the end. And so, you know, I, that's not a reason not to do pilots, not to have long pilots, but it's just a complicating factor. So as we look forward to, you know, potential, a potential pilot in Chicago and hopefully in places we're not thinking of right now, um, another question we had was what we'd most like to see in upcoming pilots. So as far as what has been measured and what hasn't, a really, really big one for me is economic mobility. And this is a tough one because it does take a while to be able to assess this accurately, particularly depending on which age groups you're looking at. But I think for many of us, myself included, the idea that basic income does over the long term really empower people and allow them to find more fulfilling, better forms of work. Obviously, as we've talked about, there's, there's not an equal alignment between more fulfilling work and more profitable work. But in many cases, particularly in things like entrepreneurship, we have this theory that if you give, if you allow people to take more risk, then over the long term, they can be more successful. And that could allow people coming from a lower socioeconomic level to achieve a higher one over the long term. And particularly given that over the past 50 years, our economic mobility has dropped significantly, in the 40s, you had a 92% chance of ending up better off economically than your parents. But if you were born in the 80s, you only had a 50% chance. And so we've really seen this precipitous decline. And over, if we don't do something about that, it's, I mean, we're really moving away from the entire concept of the American dream that you can make it if you work hard. 
And so I, I would be really curious to see what impact giving people basic income does have on their ability to be able to, to get ahead in life. Yeah, and maybe along the same lines, I would love to see longer experiments. We were just talking about how those can be problematic in some ways, but I feel like a lot of the basic income trials you see are one year, maybe two years, and that's a long time, but it also you can see the end of that. You're not just kind of thinking of it as something that you have almost indefinitely, whereas I think the Y Combinator experiment is is more along these lines. But if you had something like at least three years, maybe five years, you know, in, in the, um, Give Directly is doing some work with 10 years, that's a different mindset that you have about your economic security and um, and just what you might do with your life. And so I think we could start to see I'd be curious, I guess, if we'd see different effects in one or two years if someone knows that they're going to be getting this money, you know, far into the future. Yeah, definitely. The other really big one for me, and and honestly, I would say this is probably the thing that excites me most about pilots, is the stories that come out. Because I, I am so convinced that the biggest obstacle that we face to moving basic income forward is a cultural one, that we have th this ethos about deservingness being tied to work or certain attributes of your background uh, and th this idea of the welfare queen mooching off the system, I think there is the potential, and it's going to take a lot of work, but I think there's the potential that through stories that come out of basic income pilots, we could really mount a powerful campaign to push back on that and start to convince people that actually know this is not the way that, that people are, that People want to do well. People want to contribute. And if we give them the opportunity to do that, they will, but they don't have that now. And that basic income could be a profound way of doing that. Yeah, honestly, I think one of the most profound findings from the basic income research we have is that people, by and large, do what you'd hope they would do with the money. You know, I, I feel like there's this, this temptation or this natural response to the idea of unconditional money to say, oh, people waste it, they'll drink it. It's just for whatever reason, it's often the first thing that people think of. And what we find again and again is that people do what, what people hope that they themselves would do and that people are in fact are a lot more responsible than often people assume, which makes sense because, you know, most people out there do have some amount of disposable income whether it's a little or a lot, and, and most of them are not drinking it away. Um, and the fact that they work for that money doesn't seem to make a whole lot of difference um, in how they use it. Right. I, I think we have really great data on this already. But sadly, data doesn't seem to do a whole lot when people have these ingrained narratives. And so how can we, we go that step beyond to, to make it to really at a psychological and emotional level to be able to convince people of, of that fact? Yeah, and I think my hope is that the data will carry a little bit more weight once people have a few of these narratives, a few personal stories. It's like, okay, well, this person did fine. It turns out everyone else pretty much does fine too. Another thing that I would like to see, and this wouldn't be one specific pilot, but something that I would like to see generally in basic income pilots, is a lot of attention being paid to how the pilot is being framed publicly. I think that... So the, the income maintenance experiments that were done back in the 60s, as I said earlier, those were solely meant to measure workforce participation. That was the only thing that they were designed to do. But because 
the way that they were reported on the media, the way that they were uh, received publicly, was more about what happens when you give people a guaranteed income. You ended up having people dig in on the data and just like pulling out these different things that oftentimes had no statistical basis, but it allowed people to jump to all sorts of different conclusions as to what had actually happened. Even to this day, you have, I think most of us would say that we think the results of the income maintenance experiments were generally pretty positive. There was a small decrease in workforce participation, but it wasn't massive. And the other observations are things that we kind of like, the idea that, oh, people could spend more time with their kids, that people would go to school more. But on the right, you still have people talking about this being catastrophic in various ways. Uh, I mean, th this was a big part of the reason why the political efforts in the 60s were derailed is because there was what is now questionable reporting that divorce rates went up when you gave people this guaranteed income. And so I think that there, there's a lesson to be learned there, which is when you're doing a pilot, you need to be making a very clear and consistent presentation around what that pilot is going to tell you. And then just really stick to that. Uh, I, because I think what we saw out of Finland more recently, when the conservative government decided not to continue, the reporting was all about, oh, they're canceling it. And I don't know whether there was any way the people running the pilot could have taken more steps in advance to, to create a precaution around this. But I think that it's, it's another example of how, if you aren't very, very intentional in, in how you present the pilot to the world, then people can take it and run with it in whatever direction they want to. And so I, I think that that's something where, uh, for, for Y Combinator, for Stockton, for Jackson, anywhere else, having the people running that think a lot about, all right, what is the story we're telling here? And so that they're better able to, to keep some degree of control around that. Yeah, and of course there's always going to be you know, naysayers and people who are willfully ignoring the evidence. But yeah, I'm still seeing in mainstream publications things like, it just didn't work out in Finland. You know, it, that, that one, it, I guess it failed. Um, which, you know, it's irresponsible journalism, but you have to be ready for irresponsible journalism with a very uh, clear message. I also just saw Michael Tubbs, the mayor of Stockton, was calling out someone on Twitter who had taken a picture of a homeless encampment in Stockton and saying, like, look what the basic income trial did. And it's like, it hasn't even started yet. <laughs> um, so there's always going to be those people, but I feel like if you've got a, a clear message, like you were saying, um, that is hopefully going to pierce through just because you know what you're saying, you've got your data, you've got your story. And um, generally, the people who are just trying to tear you down are, are at least less organized and you know have fewer facts to work with. The final thing that I would like to see, and I know this will be controversial with, with some basic income advocates, but I think looking at cash plus other things, as well as just cash, I mean, there's already been experiments as in developing nations, definitely, around how does cash compare to in-kind goods. But I think that particularly if you're looking to target some specific challenge in society, like homelessness, like housing affordability, like entrepreneurship, exploring what might happen if you have some form of unconditional cash coupled with something like mentorship or some sort of community program or who knows what. But that perhaps cash on its own may be good, but cash plus 
something beyond that could be even more impactful. And there's I mean, really an unlimited space of what could be tried as far as these different approaches. And if we could start having more pilots that do that, we can maybe find some, some really powerful ways of, of dealing with these challenges. Yeah, I mean, the first thing that comes into my mind when you say that is just healthcare. Um, we do not have universal health care, as you may have heard, in the United States. And just ensuring that that is that the money just doesn't get sucked in entirely into health care. Of course, you know, people can and should spend money on their own health. But there are certain things that do tend to eat up people's money and income. And I mean, health care and housing are the, the two main ones I'm thinking of. And ensuring that those are taken care of on, on some level, you know, I think you might see some interesting results. That'll do it for this discussion episode. Thank you for listening to the Basic Income Podcast. Thank you to our producer, Eric Davison. And if you like what you hear, please do make sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or the podcast service of your choice. And please share this with at least one and maybe multiple friends who might have some interest in hearing more about Basic Income. We are always trying to reach new folks out there. We'll talk to you next time.